Welcome to the Wear Wag Repeat Podcast. I'm Tori Mystic, here with my dog Lucy. Together we're interviewing cool, creative women entrepreneurs whose work is inspired by their dogs. Do you dream of working alongside your dog? Then sit, stay, and listen to the latest episode. On this episode, I'm breaking from the format a little bit and I'm talking to a cat lady. But it's okay because this cat lover actually founded Service Dogs Inc., a Texas based nonprofit that trains rescue dogs to become service animals for people with disabilities. If you love heartwarming stories of life saving dogs, then you'll love this conversation. Let's dive in. Sherry Soltis founded Service Dogs Inc. in 1988 on the concept of using dogs rescued from animal shelters as service animals. An honors graduate from the University of Texas School of Law, she left her law practice to devote her energy full-time to building Service Dogs, Inc. Under her guidance, the nonprofit has led the industry in combining the use of rescue dogs with positive reinforcement training methodology to create working partners for Texans living with a severe loss of hearing or mobility. Sherry has mentored assistance dogs pro- dog programs around the world, including Australia, Japan, Spain, and Chile. She has also been a featured speaker at many conferences and institutions around the world. Hi, Sherry. Hi there. Thanks for Great being be on here. the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. Me too. This is my very first podcast, but I couldn't ask for a better audience. So I'm looking forward to connecting with your listeners and becoming your newest listener. Oh, perfect. Well, dog moms are, are always a, um, a receptive audience to talk to. I, I love my audience and, and all my fans and everyone because dog moms, I just think, are such compassionate, supportive people. So um, I'm sure they're going to enjoy hearing what you have to say. Wonderful. So why don't we um, start by having you tell us about Service Dogs, Inc. I, I think this is your 30th anniversary year, if I do the math right. That's so right. tell me how you, how you came up with this. What inspired you to start Service Dogs, Inc.? Well, I started off as a trial lawyer in Houston, and I found it was very combative and stressful and I, when I was, it was sort of give me, I would have trouble sleeping at night and my stomach would be tied up in knots. And I kept thinking, um, I don't want to live this way. And I wasn't that excited about just making money, which seemed to be what everybody else cared about. And so I started really looking at what am I passionate about? And I'm one of those kinds of people who wants to rescue all of the animals. And deep down, I'm actually a cat person, but cats, as they say, are indifferent to your distress. If you fall out of a wheelchair, the cat's like, well, you are going to crawl over and get my feet, aren't you? So we went with dogs. <laughs> and um, back in the 80s, there was nobody training service dogs and hearing dogs in the Texas area. You had to go to uh, Massachusetts or California, and uh, those dogs bark with funny accents. So I did sort of a survey of groups to help people with disabilities in Texas, and, and 70% were interested in having an assistance dog organization in their area. So I just started doing it step by step. And I continued to practice law until about the third year. And then I sort of took the big step and quit doing it and started doing the service dogs full time. That's incredible. So, yeah, this is just, this was even before the internet. So um, the way I actually found out about this was just thinking, oh, the universe will send me a signal. And just, I happened to see a magazine that had an article about dogs that help people with disabilities. And it turned out some of them use shelter dogs, most of them breed. 
and I wrote to the resources in the article and they started giving me more um, information about different groups that did it. And I wrote to every single group in the country and they said, we have an annual conference. So I started going to those and now I'm the vice president of that organization. And um, it really, it really shows you don't really have to be qualified or know anything. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and people will show up to help you. And if you don't know how to do something like I didn't know how to apply for a tax exempt status, somebody knows somebody who does. So just start asking around and you'll find the things you need. So when you first started, did you have someone in your life who, um, who had mobility issues or hearing issues that inspired you to pursue this or a no, client or something? Not. I had cats. <laughs> I didn't even have a dog. So I, I got a dog. So I, I thought I can't, you know, um, run a dog organization without a dog, but I didn't have, I didn't know anybody with disabilities. We did have one client, but I had, didn't really think about him. In fact, we trained a dog for him. So I started it from the animal point of view, but now I've grown quickly grew to love the uh, human side of it as well. And it's really something where you take a dog that someone's thrown away and you put it with somebody who maybe is left out of things sometimes. And then together they each help each other. Yeah, it, it's so wonderful. I actually um, have have done some marketing help or, or just posted on social media about an organization in Philadelphia because I'm in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh. But in Philly, there's a group called New Leash on Life, and they pair inmates with rescue dogs, um, and and the inmates train them to become service animals. Um, I think, I think that's what they do if I get it correctly, but it, it's just, I think it's just so wonderful, um, to pair people who are, who are left out of things or have hardship in some way with animals who are also very forgotten. It's just like a perfect partnership in so many different ways. I, I really like the prison programs. Those were started in the eighties by a nun in the Seattle area. Um, and then we are doing, we're in the third year of, of the only program right now with, um, uh, juvenile prisons. So we work with Texas Juvenile Justice Department and uh, they have kids who are, or they call them youth, that are approved, pre-approved to be in the PAWS program, pairing achievement with success. So we go out there once a month. We They have dogs that live with them. We get the dogs back after they started them in the foundation behaviors. And those dogs really have an advantage because they're living with somebody full time. And the kids design uh, their own program to re-enter society, but the dogs sort of give them sort of a partner. And one girl said, um, my dog may never see her puppies again, but I have a baby, and I, at least I know I'll see my son again. And one young man said, when I look into my dog's eyes, I see my victim's eyes. So the dogs become a big part of their therapy. And because we use only positive training, the youth also learn how to influence people one young man said, I don't have, have to pick up a knife or a gun. And I was like, oh boy. But um, they've never been exposed to how to influence people with positives. So that's what this training also helps them do. Yeah. And their recidivism rate is half of those, half of that of the kids that aren't in the pause program. So that's another fun fact. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, so tell us more about the positive training methods. What what decided you to do that when a lot of other groups weren't training in that way when you first started? Well, I was actually um, watching uh, public TV and there was a show in the early 90s called Mac and Muttley and it was a, a host with a dog, a shaggy dog, and it, he was comparing dog training and dolphin training 
And, and I thought, you know, there's SeaWorld of Texas is in San Antonio. It's an hour from us in Austin. And so I just started um, going over there and knocking on their door and saying, hey, maybe you guys can help us learn how to train. And they took us under their wing. Our director of training was with SeaWorld for 30 something years. And they pioneered positive training in animal learning with their animals because their animals are so big that if the animal doesn't like you, it can really, really hurt you. Mm -hmm. And uh, they mentored us. So the, the methodology is called operant conditioning. There's Pavlov, that's classical conditioning. And there's BF Skinner. Operant conditioning just means the main thing that influences the behavior is the consequence, what happens afterwards. So if something good happens, the organism will choose to give you the behavior more. So if you've ever found a quarter in a payphone, you'll check that payphone the next 50 times you go by because of the consequence, not because there's a sign that says you shall check the payphone. Or if you have a lucky slot machine in Vegas, you'll play it over and over again because of the consequence. So it's really amazing to see what you can get animals to do when you're nice to them. And then this turns it into a science. So intuitively, especially as women, we're like, I don't like choking my dog on a choke chain. That seems yucky, like the German military foundation of dog training. So this gives you an actual systematic way to apply what you knew in your heart was the right way to do it. So it's amazing. I never really knew the methodology behind that and the way that you explained it from like a psychological explanation. Um, it just makes so much sense. Um, with my own dog, Lucy, uh, we walk a ton on the sidewalks around my neighborhood. And just like, you know, there's certain dogs that your dog doesn't really like. And um, so walking on the leash, she would occasionally, you know, spaz out at some other dog that she didn't like. And it just never really worked when I would yell at her and say like, no, no, no. And like, and pull her back. She just didn't respond to that. But then when I kind of flipped the script and started saying, leave it like good girl, good girl. And like, preparing her, like making her walk nice when I saw the dog 50 yards away or whatever, she had such a better response and such better behavior when I did that. Um, so I've been doing that for like the last couple of years or so, um, but I never heard the methodology explained the way that you put it, but it makes perfect sense. Well, if you uh, don't want to, that's okay. If you don't want to look at the other dog and sometimes I have a border collie and she would do the same thing or chase a squirrel you get them to look at you, get them to do a behavior that they cannot physically do at the same time as the behavior you don't want. So right. you want her to look at you when you pass the other dog, not at the other dog, because whatever they're looking at is what they're thinking of. So you can even bring a high value treat that blows her mind. So if you have it in your obnoxious fanny pack, which you can start designing and make beautiful ones or your pocket or whatever, um, before you, before the other dog's so close that she can't resist it, when it's further away, you say, Lucy, and she looks at you and she gets a treat, which you have kind of in your left hip where you want her healing. Mm -hmm. And then you can be, she can be, you can be sort of delivering the treat as you pass the other dog. So she's occupied with the treat. Or you say, right when the other dog's coming, you say, Lucy, you get the eye contact, she gets the treat. The other dog will eventually become a cue for her. She'll see that other dog. She'll whip her head around at you and go, pay me. Give me that chicken because I'm, see, I'm looking at you. You started off in a very, um, you start off eye contact like in your hallway or your house. Lucy, mm -hmm. every time you look at me, something amazing happens. And then you can up the complexity of the distraction. So it tends to be inside the house, then your backyard, then your front yard. 
and you've already got her looking at you, but eye contact is great because it's, it's incompatible with a lot of stuff you don't want them to do. Right. Another, it's called the fancy way is differential reinforcement of an incompatible behavior, but just to sound fancy, for example, your dog jumps on you and old school and some of the current folks will still say, you know, dominate the dog, knee him in the chest, push him off of you. Well, what can your dog do and not that's physically impossible to do while they jump on you, lay down. So you really teach them downs, which is great because they lay down all the time anyway. So if you just friggin' notice they're doing a down, throw them a treat or a piece of popcorn or whatever you're eating or praise them. Then when you come home and they jump on you, A, ignore them and B, redirect to that down. And when all four feet hit the floor, you might have to kind of approximate it. They get the treat, they get the attention. And it's a, it's a much better way to get them not to jump on you is to train a really strong down versus kicking off of you because it doesn't teach them anything. It just teaches them that you're scary. Yeah. So that's, that's my favorite example of, of redirecting to an incompatible behavior. Um, so if your dog is doing something that you don't like, what can I teach it that is physically impossible to do at the same time? Laying down, sitting, looking at you versus looking at the cat or whatever, things like that. Yeah. But it's wonderful. so much, it's so much smarter and it's so much better for your relationship with the animal. Yeah. Definitely. So, so while you're describing all of this, I'm, I'm kind of curious how you find um, shelter dogs who are a good fit for this because um, it, it sounds like you need kind of a special, receptive, smart dog to do this. So how, how do you find dogs that are going to be capable of being a service animal? It, there's a bit of an art and a science to it, but we go to shelters. In fact, I'm going uh, next Thursday, so I'll probably adopt another four cats. But um, we want a certain age range. We want the young adult dog. We'll walk up and down the rows of the dog runs, and we're looking for a dog that's friendly. The dog that hangs back that's super scared might be a great pet dog, but we need it to be confident enough to go into public. We also will screen out the dogs that are aggressive, mm -hmm. that are like, I'm going to kill you. So, um, again, could be rehabilitated for a pet dog, but we're turning it over to somebody so we want the friendly dogs and then we'll take them out into a yard and do a little bit more temperament testing. Like we might just sit in a chair and the dog's off leash and we're like, how long does it take the dog to come want to hang out with me versus he's just sniffing um, the old tennis ball because we want a dog who's people oriented. If it's going to be a hearing dog and alert a deaf person to sounds, we might make a little timer buzzer go off and see if the dog goes to it or is interested in it or versus ignores it completely or tries to eat the timer and attack it. If it's going to be a service dog, it'll do a lot of retrieving. So we might throw a ball or pull a toy on a string to see if the dog shows any interest in that. And even when we adopt it, we'll sort of still have it on probation for a little bit of time because sometimes at the shelter, they're sick. So when they feel better, they're, they change. Or right now in Texas, summer's super hot. So it sort of suppresses their behavior. So when they get home and it's cooler, they might be like, I'm actually super crazy. I was just super hot. So we sort of make sure we take enough time to know what we're really getting. Yeah. Because a trainer can be successful with all kinds of dogs, but we're turning it over to somebody with a disability and who, oh, by the way, take it to restaurants and Neiman Marcus or shopping and wherever. So we, we don't want to give them a project dog. We all have our own project dogs like I have a dog, a different dog that's dog aggressive, and, but I wouldn't stick that with a client. Right. Because they're not going to be 
hyper vigilant to the dog's level of respiration and how much its eyes are dilated like a trainer is going to be. So we want to give them the the um, best dog for that job. Right, exactly. So yeah. how many dogs roughly do you um, do you train every year? Or maybe you know how many you've done in the last 30 years, but um, how many are you probably sending out? We do about 15. We don't do, it's different, but we do about 15 a year right now. And mm -hmm. training takes about a year because we spend a lot of the time training the client how to use the dog. Yeah. So today we just had uh, the end of a five-day class where we had some people here who were learning all week how to use their dogs and then we'll move the dog in and we'll drive to their house weekly anywhere in Texas and continue to train them how to work with the dog in their home and their community so they're comfortable with everything. And do you have foster families look after the dogs in that year-long training process? They live here. We have a six-acre campus so we have dog runs. We have air-conditioned kennels for them but we do like to have foster families who will take the dog home at night or over, over the weekend or over a holiday weekend. So we're not using puppies, we're using young adult dogs, mainly so we can x-ray their hips to make sure their hips are, the hip socket, the hip joint is, is healthy. Mm -hmm. But um, we totally love to have foster trainers, or I'm sorry, foster families that take the dogs home because it just gives the dog a break and they're a lot more refreshed on Monday. Right. And they can kind of get comfortable in a home environment where they're going to end up anyhow. That's very astute because um, the foster family helps us a lot because they'll tell us things the dog does in their house that we may not be able to observe. Like, oh, he, you know, ate a biscuit off the counter or he barked the cat or things like that. Right, right. So over the years, have you had any um, really stellar graduates, which I guess could be people or it could be dogs. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that. Those are my favorite stories. We've had several dogs literally save their partner's lives. We had a, a nice man um, who looked like kind of a young Abraham Lincoln. He's a pastor and he has a condition where he's in a lot of pain. He has, uh, and he can pass out easily if he turns a certain way. One of the ways he can get rid of his pain is to be in a hot bath. So one day he's fully dressed and he's running the water in the bathtub and he just twists the wrong way and he passes out and falls into the bathtub with the water still running. And his dog is a black lab we rescued from the city shelter in Austin named Excalibur. And Excalibur was not trained to do this, but Ray, he's actually a pastor, Pastor McCoy said, I was in the water and the next thing I knew I just woke up with this feeling of pressure on my ankle and it was a dog grabbing him by the ankle trying to pull him out of the bathtub. Wow. So together they got him out of the bathtub and Excalibur went and found his cell phone and brought it back to him without him asking so he could call his wife. But the even more incredible thing, because we didn't train him to do that, that's why it was based on them having a good relationship. And, and because Ray was unconscious, he wasn't telling the dog to do something. The dog decided to, but Excalibur was deathly afraid of running water. Whenever you would turn on the faucet of the kitchen, he would run away and we, uh, surmise or guess that maybe when he was before he got to the shelter maybe people tied him up and sprayed him with a hose to be mean to him mm -hmm. so not only did he figure out how to rescue his partner he overcame his biggest fear to do that so that just gives me really, chills really that whole story him. that's amazing yeah and we love them and another one was a golden retriever named honor that we rescued three days before she was going to be euthanized in an animal shelter and she was heartworm positive but we liked her and we just, we don't turn down a dog for that. So we did all the treatment and all the money and all that. 
she is with an older woman who um, had gotten a porch swing installed in her backyard. And she said, one minute I was sitting on the porch swing and the next minute I just felt something cold on my face. And it was the gold retriever on her licking her face to try to revive her. And she was very groggy and it turned out the porch swing had collapsed. The, the, it had pulled out from where it was connected above and the board had hit her in the head and knocked her out. And the dog had been licking on her to try to get her to wake up. And the dog wasn't the kind of dog that licks people. So Honor helped um, her get back into her wheelchair. And we had a special buzzer in this woman's home where if Honor hit it with her front paw, it would directly call um, EMS. So she hit the thing and EMS you know, says, who is it? And the dog barked and they said, it's an emergency. So they sent an ambulance to get her. And she had to have a bunch of staples put in her head to close the wound. And the doctor said if she would have been passed out much longer, she wouldn't have survived. Wow. So that's another story of the dog just deciding, I need to jump into action and figuring it out. And there are more like that. But um, sure. I love those stories because they're just based on, that's one of the advantages of using positive training is that you really are, all of our training is built on the foundation of a really good relationship with the dog. So you're the leader. You're not the leader because you're going to punish it or hurt it. You're the leader because all of the good things come from you. And they really do want to help you if you get into trouble, which is amazing. But one guy, his dog saved his life. And he said, or actually it was Ray. He said, it's not every day that Excalibur saves my life, but it's every day he makes my life worth living. So even those little things of, I dropped my pen. I don't have to wait six hours for my wife to get home to get the pen. Right. Those are all super helpful. And and the deaf people always are saying how isolated they feel, but with the dog, they have a, a companion. And with whether it's somebody who's deaf or someone who's in a wheelchair, the dog is a bridge and more people will come talk to you in public because of the dog than they might feel awkward otherwise. So it's really helpful on an emotional level also. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, dogs are just incredible. And even if they're not trained, you know, extensively through a program like yours, they can still do things. You know, you hear stories like similar to what you told about a dog coming to the rescue or saving a baby from something that sure. was falling or something like that. So um, how can how can the public tell the difference between a real assistance dog um, and, and a fake one? Or, or I don't know, I don't know if people are trying to market and sell dogs to people as assistance dogs and they're not actually. I don't know if that's a problem. The main way it's been a problem right now is on airline travel because um, the, the actual problem is that Poorly trained animals are are behaving in a way that's disruptive. Either they are disturbing people or they're being aggressive to other dogs or animals or to passengers. The things that cause that are, are a poorly trained dog or somebody that maybe buys a vest from a website and claims their dog's a service dog, although it happens in restaurants and things like that. The way a business can tell under the Americans with Disabilities Act, they can ask two questions. Is that a service dog? And what tasks does it do for you? So a service dog versus like a therapy dog or an emotional support animal performs at least one task other than just being there and comforting you. So one of our trainers said if a teddy bear can do it, then it's not a service dog. It's more of an emotional support animal. So even for somebody like a someone with post-traumatic stress, the dog might wake you up from a nightmare or to deliver your medicine, go get the bottle for you or that type of thing. So... Yes, it's a service dog and it does a task. Those are the questions you can ask. 
if you're just observing, you're just observing that the dog is well behaved in public. It's, it's the person can control it. It's attentions on the person. It's not eating food off the floor. It's not sniffing the clothes on the clothes rack or doing even worse things like barking a lot or, um, growling or toileting indoors or things like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so if someone is, um, is looking to get a service dog, what are, what are some of the requirements or, you know, how do they, how do they approach an organization like yours if they think that they could benefit from a service dog? Well, one of the best resources is uh, Assistance Dogs International and their website is assistancedogsinternational.org. And that group is sort of the umbrella group for these organizations and they've set up standards for clients, standards for training, and it's sort of, you can do it by what state you're in or what part of the world you're in, and there's there'll be a list of organizations, and if they're accredited, it means they passed a super complicated, intense, uh, multiple-day exam, so they're super legit. So anybody can call themselves a dog trainer, so instead of just going online, or used to say the yellow pages, but online, go to Assistance Dogs International so you'll know the kind of legit groups. And mm -hmm. I suggest applying to more than one because they're going to have a wait list and, and they're all going to do it a little differently. So that way, if you apply to multiple ones, you can see the one you like the best or maybe one's ready for you sooner than the other one. Each group will let you know what disabilities they train for, but they're going to want to, typically they don't want you to have another dog. Typically they do not want to train a dog you already have. And it's rare that they will train for multiple disabilities. Like I'm in a wheelchair and I'm deaf. It's like, that's harder, but some will, but that ADI website's a good place to sort of start your research. And would some of those organizations be able to help you decide if you need a service dog or if a therapy dog would be an, you know, enough support for you? Um, could they help you kind of decide what you need? They're more focusing on the, the physical disability. So, mm -hmm. I think with their, a therapy dog is really where you have your own dog and you take it to the hospital and people pet the dog and then it's, you're volunteering with the dog. Mm -hmm. You may be thinking about um, an emotional support dog or sometimes they'll say psychiatric service dog. They might be able, they'll tell you what they can train a dog to do and then you might decide what behaviors you want. But you are, you're probably already going to be aware of what your disability is. So you know you're deaf, you know the dog's going to alert you to the door knock and the phone and the smoke alarm and, or, you know, you're in a wheelchair and you have trouble picking things up. Mm -hmm. So you're probably going to go in there knowing the kind of dog you want. If you, we do get a lot of people that want, they have some sort of phobia and they want a dog to help them. But sometimes you have to say, what is it you want the dog to do? And how's the dog going to know that you need that? So if you want sort of an emotional support animal, it might be helpful just to work with a, a good trainer who uses positives and they might even help you pick out a dog because it depends on your lifestyle. And this applies to anybody getting a dog. Are you going to jog? Do you want the dog to watch TV with you, hang out with you in your office all day? What's your lifestyle? Are you around water? What age dog do you want? Puppies are cute, but they're kind of the gates to hell because mm -hmm. there's so much work with um, getting them house trained and all that stuff. So, oh, yeah. you know, do you want long or short hair? What, what part of the, what's the climate like? What other animals do you have? Do right. you want a dog that wants to be snuggled all the time or, or not so much, not such a needy dog? So all of that stuff, no matter who you are, is important to consider. Right. 
So, okay, so you have told us that you are a cat lady as well as a dog lady. <laughs> um, yeah. But so tell us just really quickly about your own pets that you have because I, I always ask my guests about um, about their own pets because I think everyone likes to hear about about what pets that you have yourself. Okay. Well, I'm probably breaking some municipal ordinances, but um, <laughs> I have uh, two dogs. I have a Border Collie mix I got from the city shelter who was my demo dog. She's, she's probably 15 or 16 now, but she did a lot of fun behaviors when I needed to go give a talk. And people are amazed that your dog will just lay down when you tell it to. So it's actually pretty easy to impress people. She bark on command. And again, remember the, the cue is not as important as a reward. Mm -hmm. So I, instead of saying bark, I would say, am I right? And she'd bark. And I was like, I need the validation. So I'd go, blah, blah, am I right? And she'd bark. And people are amused by that. <laughs> the other dog is um, a great Pyrenees who's from Pyrenees Rescue, who turned out to be dog aggressive. So now we're one of those people that gets up at 6 a.m. and walks the dogs in the strip mall, the strip center, instead of, so we're hiding from all the other dogs. But right. it's like 12 years to go. And with aggression, you can reduce it, but you can never really get rid of it, all of it forever guaranteed. So I don't want anybody else to have a bad experience because my dog barks at them or lunges at them. So we really try to just have a great time at dawn and then <laughs> um, go back in the house. And then I have, um, I'm down to nine cats now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I had, I had two and then I did a, I had a TV segment for a while and we did a series at the animal shelter and there was a cute kitten and I, I like to get kittens in two. So they have another little terrorist to be with them. And then I had a friend at the Austin Humane Society that said, can you foster this mom and litter of cats? And I did like a dumbass. And then I kept most of them. So, and then I think the last two were somebody found a kitten and they couldn't keep it. And I'm usually like, I don't need another cat, but the cat needs me. But what I have now that's super helpful for me is um, the kitty litter is in the garage because kitty litter is yucky. Mm -hmm. So um, that there's a cat door to the garage. And then I have a backyard in with a wooden fence and now it's like an aviary. So there's a dog door that cats can get in the backyard, but they cannot get out of the backyard. So they're not killing the birds and then, or getting lost and they're not getting hurt and not hurting anything else. So really you can't tell there are all those animals there because they're all kind of gone to their little corners and cubby holes or they're outside. So they all have their own little spots, but it's wonderful. It's like feeling, I feel like snow white. Like I just get up and there's woodland creatures everywhere. So I think it's super charming. Do they so make your like bed it. for you too? Like snow white? Um, right when I make, I think that's Cinderella. Oh. <laughs> them but um no but um the minute i well you know what when i you know how when you change the sheets the cats get all in there and screw it up mm -hmm. they they are big on like basically they each have a way that they're horrible but it's always a different way like one cat loves to shred the new roll of toilet paper and uh people like to knock things off shelves and people like to eat the wrong food and mm -hmm. uh uh, sometimes they like to, um, if you have a white skirt on and you're sitting on the floor cause you're tying up your cool lace up sandals, they like to come walk all over it cause they have mud on their paws. So exactly. They know and, the wrong place at the right time. Yeah. So I say cat here is nature's dental floss. And I, um, just finished, uh, campaigning for, um, Texas state representative, which I didn't get, but I always had a little bit of fur on my clothes and I was like, that's awesome. I don't want to intimidate people by being perfect. 
So uh, I'm okay with some cat hair on my black suit. Makes you more relatable. I agree. That's right. Um, although one, uh, I had an opponent who was sitting next to me, and she had a black suit on with a giant wad of white fur on her sleeve, and I was like, I think that came off of me, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> so you can also, um, you know, you know, uh, undermine your opponents by putting your cat hair on their outfit. Strategic cat hair. Sorry, maybe Elena. maybe yeah. I'll have to get a cat so I can do that. <laughs> I think I'm safe though, because if anybody ever broke in, they would just die from anaphylactic shock or, shock or asphyxiate. So yeah. I won't get any asthmatics breaking into the house. No. <laughs> well, Sherry, it's been so much fun talking to you and learning about this. Tell everyone where they can learn more because this was just a half an hour, but I'm sure people would want to learn even more about what you do. Thank you. Um, well, my organization is called Service Dogs, Inc., and the website is servicedogs.org. And we are um, we have won seven Guinness World Records with our annual Mighty Texas Dog Walk, including oh. most dogs walked and my favorite, biggest fur ball. Uh, the latest time we won it was 310 pounds of fur because we're super classy. <laughs> and then um, Assistance Dogs International.org is where you can find a list of great uh, guide dog schools and other schools that train hearing and service dogs, seizure dogs, uh, psychiatric support dogs, and uh, dogs for uh, veterans with uh, post-traumatic stress. So it will also give you the industry standards. And we're having a convention in Minnesota in August, so um, that'll be fun. And we're trying to help our government uh, make sure that when they write laws about service dogs and public access, they're hearing uh, the perspective of the, the trainers and the people that use the dogs. Right. And but that's I sure, I sure appreciate the chance. I felt like I kind of rambled on because you made me so comfortable. So this was a fantastic experience. Thank you, Tori. Yeah, it, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And I can't wait to keep in touch and, and follow along and see everything you're doing. Thank you. Well, uh, we're on Facebook, too. So Twitter, all that stuff. So check us out. Thank you for listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast. You can fetch show notes for this episode at wearwagrepeat.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until next time, Lucy and I will see you around the dog park.